Well, we are very excited to be here. Um, I don't think I have ever made any kind of significant stop in Lafayette before, although I know I've driven through scores of times. We have my, um, uh, both my parents grew up in southeastern corner of Indiana, so you can imagine coming from Milwaukee, visiting extended family, you're going by, you're going by Lafayette. So I've driven by scores and scores of times. Um, but I think this is the first time ever having a significant stop. Um, I would like to uh, just tell you a little bit about us and a little bit about um, how God called us to the country of Nepal. Um, I had the privilege of growing up in a, in a Christian home uh, where my parents, from at least as far back as I can remember, uh, taught my siblings and I the gospel, took, took us to church. Um, my dad actually got saved when I was about two years old. Um, my mom was saved as a, as a young girl. Uh, her, she grew up in a Christian home, but um, they didn't go to church all that often uh, because of for, for a variety of different reasons. It was, unfortunately, inconvenient. So um, uh, my mom uh, was invited at one point by a friend to a Christian camp and uh, tr- trusted the Lord as her Savior there. Um, and because of that lack of background, uh, when, she, when she met my dad, you know, he was raised Catholic. And um, they were, their family was more than an a Eastern Christmas Catholic. You know, they were, they, I believe they went on a regular basis. And when um, my mom and my dad were getting to know each other, he t- my dad talked like a Christian, so um, so my mom thought he was he my mom thought he was good. So they got they got married, and I'm glad they got married because I wouldn't be here otherwise. Um, so that's that's nice. Um, anyway, anyway, um, they had an interesting arrangement. They would go to the Catholic Church one Sunday. The next Sunday, they go to a Baptist church. And they would alternate Catholic Church, Baptist Church, week after week. Um, uh, my dad's job moved him around a, a bit. He um, ended up, um, they ended up leaving Indiana and moved around to a couple different places. And um, I think it was my grandfather on my mom's side that recommended a particular uh, preacher that would preach on the television. I recommended that my dad watch him. So my dad did, and my dad did have a, a hunger for spiritual things. Um, and I'm not sure how often that he would watch this, this preacher on the television. And there's a lot about this particular preacher that he, he still has a ministry today. There's a lot about him that I don't agree with, but I will forever be grateful that the man preaches the gospel clearly. And um, I'm not sure how long my dad was watching, you know, how many times he'd watched this preacher before when he gave the gospel invitation, it, it hit my dad. That's a decision 
trusting Christ as my personal Savior, putting my faith in him alone, is not something that I've done. And he knelt by the couch that night and trusted Christ as his Savior. So, and like I said, that was, I was about two years old, so I've been privileged of, uh, I've had the privilege of most of my growing up years having both parents that are believers. And they would teach us the gospel back even before I could remember. And I remember one night, um, we had had some evangelistic meetings at our church. We were living in Buffalo, New York at the time. And I was about six years old. And I recognized I was a sinner, even though I was just a kid. And I was disqualified from going to heaven because of my sin. And I remember at that point, um, it was kind of a smaller church, and I think, I think my dad was a deacon by that point, uh, which um, it wasn't a very strong uh, Baptist church. They were part of some, uh, some higher organization, but they did preach the gospel. Um, but I remember after that service, as my dad was locking up the church, I remember with the rest of my family sitting there in our minivan and the Lord convicting me of my sin, uh, understanding that I was on my way to hell because of my sin. And sitting in the back of our minivan that night, I placed my trust in Christ as my Savior. And in, in sharing the gospel with people, I, I tell them, you know, I know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. Not because, I'm an, uh, not because I'm a really good person. If, if it was up to me and how good I could be, I could never be good enough. But it's because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And um, um, my wife grew up actually as a missionary kid. Her parents are still over in Japan today as missionaries. They went there when... Uh, she was about six months old, so Japan is, has been home for her. So um, just so you don't have to ask later, yes, she can speak and read and write Japanese. Um, she would, she, she'll make sure she tells you that it's, she can't do it quite as well as a native. And that's sure, I'm sure that's probably true, but she is really good. Uh, she, she won't tell you that, so I will. Um, but... Um, you know, just being a missionary kid, you know, she came to a point where she recognized even being, her parents being missionaries, salvation is a, is a personal matter. And I think she was about, you were about six years old too, right? Yeah, uh, when she trusted Christ as her Savior. Um, so, and for me, growing up, you know, I had the traditional dreams of, you know, what probably a lot of, Boys, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? You know, I wanted to be, I remember for a while, wanting to be a fireman, you know. I think that's probably, you know, they seem like heroes, you know. Um, and I remember th- uh, going through different stages, but I remember specifically, uh, I think it was upper elementary, the Lord started burdening my heart for missions. Um, and I'm sure part of that was, by that point, uh, the Lord had moved our family to the Milwaukee area, and just what would have seemed like a chance encounter um, 
my dad in checking the area out before we moved out, uh, came across uh, Falls Baptist Church in Menominee Falls, and uh, he, it was just happened to turn on the radio, found a Christian radio station, and um, right at that moment, our pastor was preaching, and my dad listened for a while, and then called my mom and said, I think I found a church we need to check out. Uh, so that's how the Lord led us to that church, and uh, very much a missions-minded church, and I know the Lord has used that in my life. Um, different missionaries coming through our church, you know, and after a while, I remember thinking, wow, it would be great to do something like this for the rest of my life, go, go to a different part of the world where the gospel is not widely known, and getting to spend my life sharing the gospel with people. And I thought of a number of different possibilities of where I might go as a missionary. You know, quite a, quite a variety of places. I won't get into that right now. But it really wasn't until um, in Bible college, you know, still thinking, I'm preparing for uh, the mission field, not knowing for sure where the Lord wanted me to go. I think it was my uh, second to last year of college, there was a missionary who was going to the Philippines. Now, I had a lot of respect for this particular missionary. He had been one of my professors in college and um, just a, a, a very, very godly man. Um, uh, he's a missionary in the Philippines today, but he, uh, he teaches at a Bible college there in the Philippines. And there are students that come from all over Asia to that Bible college. And this particular missionary really has a vision for Asia as a whole. And I remember, I think it was, I think it was Sunday evening, he showed in church his, his video uh, to our church. Uh, but then to the student body of the college, um, I think it was the following day in chapel, he showed a slideshow. This slideshow had, um, and w- what he was doing was showing different pictures of different countries in Asia. He would focus on one country at a time, and he'd show pictures of the people, pictures of a landscape, and a different religious statistics, population statistics, things like that. And uh, I couldn't have told you why at the time, because I re- had really never given the country of Nepal very much thought at all, ever. But when he was showing those slides about Nepal, it really captured my attention. And really, from that moment on, um, and that was a while ago, that was, uh, let's see, that was probably about 12 years ago. Um, Whenever thinking about future ministry, it was always within the context from that point on uh, of that part of the world. I remember reading a, a missionary biography um, about some amazing things that God did through a missionary in China. And I remember as I was reading that missionary biography thinking, wow, it would be wonderful to see God do those type of things in the country of Nepal. Uh, I remember going on a missions trip to Cameroon, West Africa. Interesting how I ended up going on that missions trip. It wasn't my plan. I'm not going to get into all that right now, but uh, the Lord wanted me to go. So I ended up going, and we, um, 
it was an unusual missions trip, at least for me, because we ended up um, really out. This would have been the, really the middle of nowhere, you know, a classic definition of the middle of nowhere. Uh, for, about, for about a week, uh, the only motorized vehicle of any type that we saw was the missionary's airplane flying overhead. No cars, not even motorbikes. And it was probably because it just wasn't very accessible because the terrain was extremely hilly. And getting to go to different, um, not even so much villages. I mean, they were more like, it would be more classified as a compound. You know, not even, you know, you'd have maybe, maybe four or five families living and there's really looks like nothing around them. These are, um, a lot of these people are, are herdsmen that live up in the hills, and getting to go to these different places and share the gospel with people. I remember one, one particular um, little compound that we stopped at. It wasn't our plan to stop there. It was just on the way to another place, okay? Um, and we happened to stop, you know, some of us were tired, and we preached the gospel to these people. There were at least a couple of these people that trusted Christ as our Savior that day. One of them was, uh, he had to have been the oldest member of that little group, okay? About a week later, we're on our way back, and so we ended up passing through that little compound again. And as we were passing through that second time, they were having that guy's funeral. Um. And that man's in heaven today. But if we hadn't passed through that village just a week prior to that, um, uh, a lot of the a lot of the folks, not that particular, um, not that man, but there were a lot of folks that we got to preach the gospel to that were uh, Muslim. Uh, there's a Fulani people group live in that area of Cameroon as well as other places in Africa and uh, getting to share the gospel with those people. I remember the missionary after that week asked me, so what did you think? And I know he was really trying to recruit more missionaries for Cameroon. I know, that was, I know that's what he was doing. He, he kind of made that clear. Um, and honestly, after that missions trip, I didn't, I didn't feel called to Cameroon. Um, and I think he was a little disappointed. But one thing that was very clear to me was the Lord used that trip to burden my heart to do that same type of evangelism in the country of Nepal. And um, just I could, take, I could spend a lot of time taking different passages of Scripture that the Lord has used in both of our hearts to encourage us to move forward towards Nepal. Um, and um, over the last number of years, it, it has taken me some time to... To become convinced that this is what God wants us to do. And honestly, I wasn't willing to go on a whim. Um, it's not like a, a dangerous part of the world. It's, it wouldn't be like going to a street corner uh, in Saudi Arabia and trying to preach the gospel there. It's not like that. But the government doesn't want missionaries there. Um, so I wanted to know for sure that this is what God wanted me to do before being 
fully committed, you know, before, uh, before quit my job, before uh, taking my little family over to this place. Um, and the Lord has, through a number of different, through his word and through a number of different circumstances, has made that very, very clear. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more um, Wednesday night. But I, this morning, I would like to share with you um, a passage that the Lord has uh, used in our hearts. Um, it's in Second Corinthians. To start out, I'm going to read a couple of verses in uh, the book of Matthew, but 2 Corinthians is um, where we're going to be spending most of our time. Okay, as you're in 1 Corinthians, I'm going to read to you uh, a passage from Matthew chapter 5, just to um, introduce a concept here. And it's a very familiar. I'm sure probably most of you uh, could quote these verses that I'm about to read from the Sermon of the Mountain, Matthew 5. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse, um, four, starting in verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Okay, we know the point of what Jesus is saying here. He wants us to let our light shine. Um, You know, it's easy to think of different parts of the world where it's just very, very spiritually dark. Honestly, Nepal is a place that is very spiritually dark. Um, I remember uh, witnessing just kind of from a distance, a Hindu funeral. Um, probably could be one of the most depressing experiences that you could witness. Um, seeing people just... Uh, and it, it, it's... I'm not going to get into all of it, but just seeing the people weeping and wailing over the man that had died. Um, and just all their different rituals that they do. It's a, it's a dark place. It's a dark place. Now, um, God's, God is doing things in Nepal. There are people being saved in Nepal today. Um, even, even though the government is against it, um, God is working, and there's not a single man or group of men on earth, no matter what their position is or how powerful they may seem, that can stand in the way of God's work moving forward. But Nepal is a very dark place. But you think about it, 
I remember uh, thinking about this again just yesterday. I think my wife and I may have been talking about it a little bit as we were driving down here. Um, there are people all around us here that are every bit as lost as those people that are steeped in Hinduism in Nepal. Every bit as lost. Um, And although a lot of them are confused and their, their minds have been blinded, I believe a lot, of those, a lot of people, even around here, are open to the truth. They need somebody to be a light, though, because they're in darkness. Okay, the, uh, before, we move to, before we get into 2 Corinthians, I, note, I want you to note one, one very simple thing in Matthew Chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus said, let your light so shine. Okay? And then what he says is, that they may see your good... Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's not exactly the way I would expect for Jesus to have made that statement. I would have expected something more like, and before you call me a heretic and kick, kick me out of here, just bear with me, just, just a second, okay? Um, I would have expected him to say, let your light so shine before men that they may hear your message and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When I think of us light, letting our light shine, I think of sharing the gospel with people, and that's a very real part of it. But Jesus said that they may see your good works. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Okay. Now, there is a philosophy of evangelism out there that's basically like this. Okay. You don't have to preach at people. Okay. I'm not saying this for myself. I'm saying this. That's what some people say. Okay. You don't have to preach at people. You just have to, you know... You just live like a Christian should live, and people will notice a difference in you. And eventually, they'll come to you and say, there's something different about you. What is it? And then you'll have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Does that happen? Absolutely. But do you think Jesus is intending for us to limit our sharing of the gospel to opportunities like that? No. You read the Bible, it's very clear that that is not the case. However, he does say that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So, is preaching the gospel message important? Absolutely. It's absolutely vital. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right? But there's another aspect of being light that is absolutely vital in being an effective gospel witness. Okay. Um, now, in 2 Corinthians, uh, I don't remember if I told you what chapter or not, but uh, chapter 4, actually at the end of chapter 3, and then moving into chapter 4, Starting verse 18 of chapter 3. But 
we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Okay, uh, we don't have time to dig into this in detail, but we're going to hit some highlights here. Um, what, what is... What is uh, verse 18 of chapter 3 talking about. Uh, but we all with open face beholding as in glass the glory of the Lord. Well, okay, what's this mean, open face? Well, um, if you look back in earlier in chapter 3, um, the Apostle Paul is using Moses as an illustration. You remember when uh, the Israelites were, out, were at Mount Sinai and Moses went up on the mountain, and when he was up there on the mountain, he asked God, he said, show me your glory. And do you remember what God said? He said, you can't, basically, you can't, no man can see my full glory and live, but I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand, and I'll pass by, and he told him that he would see, it says that he, Moses God ended up removing his hand as he passed by, and Moses saw the, the back parts of God's glory. What exactly that means, or what exactly that looked like, I don't know. However, what we do know, it had an obvious, very apparent impact on Moses, didn't it? You remember, it said that Moses' face was shining after that encounter. Um, in, in a way that when he came down from the mountain and the people saw him, um, they wanted him to um, cover his face with a veil, right? Um, that might seem kind of weird. Like, what's, what's the big deal? Well, I've never seen somebody with a, where their face was actually radiating light, okay? Um, and... I don't think anybody here has really had that experience either. And if you did, I guarantee you, it would be an unnerving experience. Okay? And so just to be, can you imagine trying to talk to somebody and their face is shining? It would be very distracting, <laughs> at least, right? So they had, that, they had Moses cover his face with that veil. As you move on in chapter 3 here, um, 
uh, in verse 14. He says, but their minds uh, actually... Yeah, verse 14. But their minds were blinded. For, unto, for until this day remaineth the same veil. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. What's this talking about? He's using that veil as an illustration of a veil that is over the hearts of the people of Israel as they read the Old Testament. And he says that it was that that was the case in that day. And we know from experience, that's even true today. Um, God chose the people of Israel to um, really, really did an excellent job at preserving the Old Testament, keeping it pure. Um, it's incredible how meticulous they were in keeping the Old Testament, the, the writings of the Old Testament pure. And it's tragic to consider that those people who are so, who, who have over the centuries have been so meticulous about keeping the Old Testament pure. There are so many prophecies that are clearly, clearly fulfilled by Jesus Christ that they totally miss. That's tra- isn't that tragic? I remember just uh, within the last week or two, um, I'm sure some of you are familiar with the radio program Unshackled. Okay, I was l- listening to a story about a man who, who was Jewish, um, and he had, he had gotten married to a backslidden uh, Christian, and she ended up coming back to the Lord and got more interested in studying the Bible. And she tried to get him to study the Bible, and he did, reading these, reading these um, uh, passages that were clearly talking about Jesus Christ. And long story short, the Lord ended up using those passages to convince him that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But by and large, doesn't it seem like the Jewish people, even though many of them, a lot of them today, some of the Orthodox Jews, they're probably more familiar with the Old Testament than most of us are. Really. But they don't see it. They don't see it. That veil is over their hearts. And it says that that veil is done away in Christ. Um, so this veil that's being referred to, uh, or I should say this, okay. Um, when it's talking in verse 18, but we all with open face, that literally means unveiled face. Okay, so when it says, but we all with open face, it's talking about for us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, those of us who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, that veil has been taken away through the, through the Holy Spirit illuminating the truth of God's word to us. We can see the glory of God, um, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Our ch- and it brings forth a result are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay. So, how, how, is, this transfer, how is this changing? This, really, the, the same word that's used changed here is um, in 
Romans 12, the beginning of Romans 12, what it's, where it says, um, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, that's the same word. This is talking about a transformation, a radical change that takes place. But how does this change take place? Well, it's by beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. This is talking about beholding the glory of God through his word. Okay, I could, we could go to earlier in um, chapter 3, makes it clear that that's what it's referring to. Um, so this change takes place as we behold the glory of God through his word. Does that mean that this change is automatically, automatically going to happen when you read the Bible? No, not at all. Not at all, okay? Um, you know, you can read the Bible different ways. You can read anything different ways. For example, um, I remember as I was working my way through seminary, in college too, but more so in seminary, um, for different classes, one of the requirements was to do reading. A lot of reading. Like... Um, a thousand pages, twelve hundred pages. I think for one class it was like fourteen hundred pages of reading. For me, okay, I don't know about maybe, maybe you're a speed reader. I'm far from it. Okay, and so for me that was extremely intimidating. Okay, uh, I've always been a slow reader. All you know, and it's it's gotten better for sure. But it, part of that, I mean, it's never going to change. Um, and so for me that was very very daunting. Um, do you think I was just, just holding on to every word as I was reading through those different books? <laughs> no. I, I couldn't do that if I was going to survive the class. You know, I was pushing through that stuff as, as, fast, as fast as I could go. Okay? Just so I could say, yes, I did it. I, I did the reading. Okay? Now, um, as, as my wife and I were, st were starting our relationship, uh, she was over, uh, she was actually over in Japan as we started corresponding. Okay. I remember uh, writing the biggest letter I've ever written, even to this date, uh, sent it over to Japan, uh, waited, it, it took about a week to get there. Okay. And about um, two weeks after I sent that letter, I got a letter in the mail from Emily. Um, now, do you think I read that letter in a similar way to I, the way I read my seminary reading? Uh-uh. Okay. I remember coming home from work that day, and that day had been an especially messy day at work. Okay. Uh, we were, uh, we normally didn't do this type of thing, but we were putting in fence posts. Okay. And it, so we're drilling holes, and there's dirt, and it rained on us, like, not like pouring down rain where you would have to stop, but it was just that light, misty rain that just keeps coming and just totally saturates everything. So I had gotten pretty messy that day. I didn't even take the, you know, I found out that letter was at home. I didn't even take the time to change out of my work clothes, okay? Take my boots off, you know, sit down in the recliner, I get that letter, and I read through it. I probably read through it at least a couple of times in that moment. Uh, do you think I just, you know, once... I initially read through it. Do you think I set it aside and you know, never touched it again? 
No, no, I read it again and again. I remember taking, putting that letter in my lunchbox, taking it to work so that on my lunch break, and I had already read it multiple times already, sitting down on my lunch break and reading through that letter again. Why? Do you think I wasn't paying attention the first time or two or three? No, that wasn't the case at all. Why was I reading it again? Talk to me. Why was I reading it again and again? Sure, okay, a little, little more specific. I enjoyed it. Somebody said something over here. Exactly. I was wanting to get to know her. I wanted to know Emily's heart. Okay, now, when we read, when we sit down to read the Bible, how do we read it? Do we treat it like I was treating that seminary reading and just getting through it so we can check off the box on our Bible reading schedule? Or are we reading it to really get to know God, to really get to know his heart? Let me ask you a question. Which kind of reading is going to result in the transformation that's talked about here in verse 18? Answer's obvious isn't it? And look, we don't have time to get into all the details of this. But this transformation that God wants to accomplish in every believer's heart is a transformation that the lost world is going to see. And I believe that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, let let your light so shine before men. Jesus said that we are the light of the world. That's a responsibility. And I believe a big part of it is allowing God to transform our hearts in such a way that our lives can only be explained by God being involved. Um, there's all kinds of different religions out there. Um, and some people are just, yeah, some people have hardened their hearts. They're just into the ritual. They're just doing it to look good before men. But there's a lot of people out there. And I believe every person, because we're made in the image of God, when people see spiritual reality, they'll recognize it. Now, how they respond to that might be different. Do you think Pharaoh recognized spiritual reality? Definitely. Um, we could think of the, uh, the re- religious leaders, the, the Pharisees that interacted with Christ. Do you think they recognized spiritual reality in Christ? Absolutely. So people can definitely reject it when they recognize it. But you know, there's a lot of people out there that are going to be drawn to the light. And as later on in this passage, it says, um, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Okay. There are many people out there who are just in darkness. 
And they need to see the transforming power of the Word of God. And the last statement in verse 18, I know I'm, I'm sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit here, partly because I'm uh, running a little short on time, but that, that's okay. The la- but the last part of verse 18 says that it's even, by the, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, He is the one that accomplishes this transforming work. It's not something we can do. Jesus said, without me, without Christ, we can do nothing. But as we are look, look, getting, seeking to get to know God in his word, trusting him to reveal himself to us, he will. And if we're willing to just, in dependence on the Holy Spirit's power, follow what he says, he is going to transform us in such a way that it's going to be undeniable to the lost world. It's nothing about us. That's why in verse 7 he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. An earthen vessel is not impressive. But what is, what's the, the treasure, though, that's inside? That's what people need to see. And as we are seeking God through his word, trusting it, depending on him to reveal himself to us, he will transform us in such a way that it's going to be undeniable to the lost world. I'll close with this little illustration. Ah, now I've done it. Uh, when I was over in Nepal, I saw something that was kind of shocking to me. Okay, I'm not talking about culture shock necessarily. I expected things to be quite a bit different over there. But what was shocking to me was not anything about Nepal itself or not anything really necessarily about Nepali people. What was shocking to me was something that I saw Westerners doing over there. Americans, maybe some were Europeans. They were actually participating in some of the religious rituals. That was shocking to me. I thought, why are they doing that? And after thinking about it for a while, and after talking to one of the missionaries over there about it, it all made sense. These are people, these were people that had grown up in at least a somewhat Christian culture. They, at least they had been exposed to what they thought was Christianity. But what they saw, to them it seemed empty. Because what they saw was probably nothing but a counterfeit. Or at least Christianity that was not very impacting. But if those people had had the, if those people had been exposed to, had been around Christians, where the reality of God was evident, in their lives. I don't think they'd be going over there seeking for spiritual reality. You know, and, that, and that's, that's what they're doing. They've seen what they thought was Christianity, and to them, it seemed empty. It didn't have anything for them. But they look over in a place like Nepal, and they see these people who seem very sincere about their religious rituals. And so they go over there looking for spiritual reality. 
no matter where we are, no matter what state we're in, no matter what country, no matter what city we're in, we have a responsibility to allow our lights to shine. And the only way that's going to happen is by getting serious about our relationship with God and allowing him to change us. Then the lost world is going to see, recognize spiritual reality in our lives. And when we preach the gospel message, it's going to be powerful. It's going to be powerful. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth in your word. Lord, you know I need this as much as anybody. I pray that you would help each one of us here never to be satisfied with anything less than a vibrant relationship with you that's life-changing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.